Well, hello there. Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each and every season, we pick six different movies that fall under one common theme. And we have made it all the way to season seven. Game on is the theme for this season, where we are collecting a sextet of video game inspired films. And ladies and gentlemen, you find yourself at episode three, featuring Angry Birds from 2016. It's an animated movie, and it's not very good. And so, in addition to a wonderful introduction by my co-host Chad Cooper, you're going to get a review featuring him and me, Bo Ransdell, at no extra cost. You can't afford not to be listening to this podcast at those prices. But enough out of me. We got a whole show to do, and I think, if you're not careful, you just might learn something. But probably not. Anyway, here's Chad. In 1893, the Chicago World's Fair celebrated the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival to the New World in 1492. At the center of the fair was a large pool meant to represent the voyage that Christopher Columbus successfully made across his historic journey. The spectacle of the Chicago World's Fair resonated far beyond those who were lucky enough to actually attend the fair. It was a cultural and social event that impacted the world of architecture, the arts, heck, basic sanitation practices, and it was a real shot in the arm to American industrial optimism. The Chicago World's Fair saw the introduction of many famous products, Wrigley's Juicy Fruit Gum, Cream of Wheat, Shredded Wheat, the Ferris Wheel, Diet Carbonated Soda, a personal favorite, Aunt Jemima Syrup and Pancake Mix, Paps Blue Ribbon Beer, another personal favorite, as well as the Dishwasher, definitely a personal favorite. The fair had pavilions from 50 different foreign companies and 43 states were represented in attendance. Virginia brought a replica of Mount Vernon. There was a 100-year-old palm tree from California. The country of Norway actually sailed a full-sized Viking ship across the ocean to the fair. Peck, the Liberty Bell even made an appearance. The fair was filled with brilliant white stucco buildings that at night were illuminated by a network of electric lights and the fair itself was reportedly the inspiration for the Emerald City in the book The Wizard of Oz. The popularity and success of the Chicago World's Fair set in motion the industry of traveling carnival shows across the United States to spread entertainment, fun, and culture to the rural masses nationwide. However, as is often the case with smaller, cheap knockoffs, these traveling carnivals often exhibited dishonest business practices that ultimately would go on to brand traveling fairs with the well-deserved shady reputations that they now have. Oftentimes, these smaller traveling carnivals would show up unexpectedly overnight to the surprise and delight of children and the dismay of adult religious town folk. Traveling carnivals would typically have a series of stalls that sold food or exotic merchandise, they had entertainment venues that featured performers with a wide variety of talents. There were sideshows with live animal performances. There were freak shows. There were boxing matches. Sometimes, heck, a combination of all three. In 1868, Fred Savage, no, not that one, the agricultural engineer, he came up with a way to power rides using steam. Now, this paved the way for the introduction of the carnival mainstays such as the carousel and the aforementioned Ferris wheel. Alongside the dizzying array of shows and rides and attractions were the carnival games. Here, local attendees would step right up, pay a price, and take your chance at winning a prize. Now, traveling carnival games fell into one of two categories, games of chance and games of skill, both of which were normally 
more financially beneficial to the operator of the carnival or damn near impossible to win. It was kind of like a casino. Games of chance included the wildly popular duck pond, where floating plastic ducks would bob around in water and a player would randomly choose a duck to see if it had a winning number on the bottom. Ping pong ball or fish bowl had players toss small balls into a large grid of fish bowls, some containing fish, but most were empty. Lucky children that could toss a ball into a fish bowl containing a fish found themselves the proud owner of a new aquatic pet. Well, at least for a couple of days, and then tragedy normally struck and these kids learned the harsh reality of death firsthand, as most goldfish didn't make it past a week once arriving at their new home. Games of skill were the second category of gameplay. These games laid the likelihood of winning more squarely in the hands of the player than in the hands of fate. Crossbow shoot or balloon and darts were games where players paid their money and popped balloons or hit a paper target in an attempt to win a stuffed bear or possibly a small mirror with a Led Zeppelin or Van Halen logo on it suitable for hanging in a high school locker or separating out your stems and seeds. Other games of skill were modified by the carnival operator to be more difficult for players to win. Basketball and basket seemed simple enough. You tossed a basketball into the hoop and you would win a prize. Only at the carnival, the hoop was smaller than a regulation size hoop and was damn near impossible to accomplish. Coin toss, where players tossed a coin onto a cake plate or other flat surface, was made all the more challenging as the flat surfaces were often covered with cooking spray or other forms of lubricant. And then there was milk bottle toss, a game where three to six milk bottles are stacked up in a pyramid shape and the player was asked to knock them down using a baseball or softball. Simple enough, toss the ball, knock over the milk bottles, you win a prize. But this too is oftentimes rigged in the favor of the traveling carnival in a multitude of ways. Bottles stacked on the bottom were often filled with additional weight to make them heavier than the ones on top. The balls used to knock over the milk bottles would be filled with cork to make them lighter and produce less damage when hitting the milk bottle targets. And even the game operator would at times shift one of the bottles forward just a bit to take the brunt of the ball's force preventing the other bottles from tipping over and encouraging the player to pay again and play again. And players who failed to complete the task would pony up their money over and over again, all in an attempt to knock over the structure in front of them. It's really simple. You take this object and knock down that structure. Take this, knock down that. It's just that simple. When smartphones took over the world, gaming apps came right along with them. And on April 28, 2009, a physics-based flash game was released on the iPhone. In the game, players use their fingers to fling tiny projectiles to smash into structures to destroy the inhabitants precariously placed inside. There were standard size objects to throw, ones that would split into three smaller projectiles. There was a jumbo sized one that would move slower but with much larger damage. There was one object that became a bomb when landing and would explode the walls around it. And this fun, addictive game was none other than Crush the Castle. Yeah, it turns out that Crush the Castle, the online flash game that nobody's ever really heard of, was the inspiration for the smartphone app game that everybody's heard of, Angry Birds. But instead of propelling objects with the famous Angry Birds slingshot, players used the thoroughly unfamous 
crush the castle, trebuchet. And instead of the iconic, colorful, comical birds, it was the forgettable drab boulders. And it was the famous mocking green pigs that usurped the place of medieval soldiers and members of royal families. Now look, the practice of ripping off existing video games is as old as video games themselves. Way back in the 1970s, the granddaddy of all video games, Atari's Pong, was a ripoff of a table tennis game found on the Magnavox Odyssey gaming system. Magnavox sued Atari, forcing Atari to cop up $700,000 in a licensing fee. Take that, Atari. And who didn't spend hours upon hours after school playing the Great Guiana Sisters, smashing blocks with your head, gathering mushrooms, collecting tiny coins, traveling through sewer tubes? What fun we all had playing it on our Amiga Commodore 64. That was until Nintendo showed up and pointed out to the game makers that the first stage of this game had an almost identical layout to Nintendo's Super Mario Brothers. Nintendo urged the makers of the Great Guiana Sisters to make their game go away, which they did, which it did. So remember kids, stealing other people's ideas is only bad if you're unable to pay them off with huge cash settlements with the profits of your illegal thievery. Other games were ripped off as well. Street Fighter II was cloned by a game called Fighter's History. Mega Man was ripped off by Mega Robo War. Imitation is his form of flattery. Once said a person who was guilty of ripping off somebody else's really good idea. And with that rationalization in mind, let's flash forward a couple of decades where the emergence of mobile games on smartphones ushered in a whole new world of ripoffery. Less scrupulous gaming companies were inspired by the likes of Halo, StarCraft, Uncharted, Grand Theft Auto, Modern Warfare, World of Warcraft, Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, God of War, the list goes on and on. Everybody got ripped off. So to single out Angry Birds and Rovio, the Finnish company that created the game, as the only guilty party in such behavior is misguided at best. Rovio was founded in 2003 by a bunch of students from the Helsinki University of Technology in Finland. Good old Hoot Finn. And this ragtag group of developers created 51 unsuccessful apps before ripping off, <coughs> I mean creating Angry Birds, which was released just before Christmas in 2009, almost a year after Crush the Castle. And Angry Birds became one of the most popular games in the history of video games. The lighthearted, comical, fun gameplay led to almost overnight success and an ongoing list of spin-offs and sequels in the franchise. There were tie-ins with the animated movie Rio that featured a blue macaw voiced by Jeffrey Eisenberg, as well as a Star Wars tie-in featuring a Darth Vader voiced by James Earl Jones. By January 2014, there were over 2 billion downloads across all platforms, including both regular and special editions of Angry Birds. And by July of 2015, the series games were downloaded more than 3 billion times collectively making it the most downloaded freemium game of all time. Everyone downloaded Angry Birds. Everyone played Angry Birds. And for some parents, the game became a sore spot as children began to make unauthorized purchases within the app without mom and dad giving the okie dokie to these kids spending their parents' money. Aided by Facebook's ability to not really give a shit about personal privacy, mobile apps that were cheap or free like Angry Birds were all the rage and they were promoted via social media. As long as an app didn't look like a sketchy ne'er-do-well up to no good, people were happy to install them on their phones. But in 2014, Edward Snowden, how did he get in our intro? 
Edward Snowden, American whistleblower, copied and leaked a bunch of classified information from the National Security Agency when he worked for the CIA. And guess what? It turns out that Angry Birds was an app that accessed private information and it was being used in less than scrupulous ways. Yeah, Angry Birds was a leaky app used to access people's private information. Rovio responded and said it had no knowledge of any programs looking to extract data from its app's users. It was a scandal that nobody really cared about. Maybe they should have cared, maybe a little. Despite the scandal that wasn't a scandal, Angry Birds continued to flourish as the game became a full-blown franchise, inspiring merchandise, a knockoff theme park in China, a television animated series, and ultimately the feature film that is the subject matter of this episode. In 2012, just three years after the game's initial release, the Angry Birds movie was officially announced. Building on the success of the animated series, Angry Birds Toons, the team at Rovio knew they had to bring the Angry Birds to the silver screen because they wanted to make more money. And in October of 2014, the first promotional image of the movie was released, featuring the voice talents of some real top-notch A-list comedy actors. Saturday Night Live alumni Jason Sudeikis would voice Red, the main Angry Bird in the film, Sudeikis would be joined by SNL alumni Maya Rudolph and Bill Hader, lending their voices to a bird and pig, respectively. Josh Gad, who three years earlier lent his voice to Olaf in Disney's hit musical Frozen, Gad had also shown off his comedic and singing abilities on the stage as Elder Cunningham in The Book of Mormon. HBO favorites Danny McBride and Peter Dinklage rounded out the voice cast as well. Angry Birds was the third film to feature both Josh Gad and Peter Dinklage, the first being 2012's animated film Ice Age, Continental Drift, and in 2015, the video game-inspired movie Pixels. Rounding out the cast is, good God, Sean Penn? Is this, is this correct? Did our, did our fact checkers review the script? What do you mean we don't have fact checkers? How do we know these introductions are accurate? What do you mean I, I asked too many questions? You know, why, why don't we just talk about this later? Yes, I know that's another question. Just will you please get off my back? I'm reading the Angry Birds movie intro. Edit all this out. Sean Penn lent his voice to the character Terrence, one of the Angry Birds who doesn't ever speak. Terrence is the oversized bird that just grunts and growls every now and again. Oh, I see. It's funny because Sean Penn had his own anger management issues and a tendency to beat people up. That's funny. Screenwriting duties fell to John Vitti. Vitti was also an alumni of Saturday Night Live as a writer. He'd also worked on The Larry Sanders Show, The Ali G Show, The Simpsons, King of the Hill. He also wrote the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. And Alvin and the Chipmunks 2, The Squeakquel. Oh boy. Rovio teamed up with Sony Pictures with an estimated budget of 80 million bucks, excluding any marketing dollars, thus making Angry Birds the largest budgeted film in the history of Finland Coming in second was pretty much every other movie made in Finland. Rovio CEO Mikael Heat had full competence in the film and said it had a, quote, tremendously strong story. Hmm. Then a year after announcing the Angry Birds movie, Rovio announced that they were going to cut 40% of the company's workers and the only division of the company that was being spared was the team working on the Angry Birds movie. A double hmm. Back when the movie was originally announced, Rovio rejected the advances of established animated companies and decided to establish its own in-house animation studio to work on the movie. This would allow for greater creative control and one would assume a greater share of that sweet, sweet Angry Bird box office bonanza. 
David Mizell, the founding chairman of Marvel Studios, John Cohen from Illumination Entertainment, and Catherine Winder from Lucasfilm, well, they all came on board to serve as film producers, and Sony Pictures Imageworks, they took the lead on the animation. The movie was directed by Clay Caddis and Fergal Riley. Caddis worked in the animation department on many of Disney's animated films, including Mulan, Tarzan, Tangled, Wreck-It Ralph, and Frozen. Co-director Riley worked in the art department on multiple animated feature films, including Space Jam, The Iron Giant, Hotel Transylvania, and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, a movie that I highly recommend. The movie had some pretty heavy hitters that could deliver a quality animated motion picture. And when the movie opened on May 11, 2016, it was top at the box office, bringing in $38 million, beating out Captain America Winter Soldier that only made $32 million. Take that, Marvel. Better luck next time. Actually, Captain America Winter Soldier was in its third week of release and had already made $350 million domestically. Angry Birds ended up making a little over $107 million domestically and over $350 million worldwide, which set the stage for a sequel that would hit theaters three years later. The Angry Birds movie received mixed reviews when it came out. Some critics seemed to give the movie a pass because, well, it was based on a mobile phone app. Others were not so sympathetic. An example of a positive review came from Moira McDonald with the Seattle Times, who said of the movie, quote, The Angry Birds movie is unnecessary, but cute, like a bonnet on a cat. And there are certainly worse recommendations than that. Thank you? My favorite review from this movie comes from Glenn Kinney from the New York Times, who said, Kids today deserve better, and so do I come to think of it. And you know what? He's right. One could argue that the success of the Angry Birds movie paved the way for crappy movies like the Emoji Movie, a movie that should be a failed punchline, and another movie making fun of films like the Angry Birds movie. Is Bo here yet? No. Well, go get him. Now. Look, we're going to get into this movie in more detail in a minute, but here's a little preview. The plot of this movie, remember the one that CEO Mikael Heed said had a tremendously strong story that's based on a mobile app game that's a ripoff of another mobile app game that's essentially a ripoff of the milk bottle inspired form of corn pone rural gambling? Well, here's the plot of this film. A bunch of anthropomorphic birds, and I'm not going to say hatch, come up with a plan to break into an impenetrable fortress to steal back some eggs that were stolen. So their leader puts together a ragtag team where each of them has a unique skill with this heist. One is fast, the other one can explode, one's a big brute, and they all go to break into this castle like one would a casino. It's essentially the plot of Ocean's Eleven. Hell, the most famous scene from both of these movies involves a reflection pond and fountains. Is everything about Angry Birds a ripoff? Why is this pissing me off so much? There's just one way to answer all of these questions. Let's get Bo in here and rip this movie a new asshole. Ladies and gentlemen, Pigs and Birds, it's 2016's The Angry Birds Movie. Damn it! Trumpet guy, play the trumpet. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. Uh, Bo, I've gotten over pretending to be outraged and angry. I've only just begun, <laughs> Chad. Could you tell I was pretending to be angry? 
like you are truly one of the finest actors of our generation and not a lot of people know that you are able to slip in and out of characters with an ease that rivals <laughs> your kevin spacey's your jake lloyd's <laughs> your keanu reeves your machios mm, machio <laughs> oh i could go for a machio right now <laughs> I have to admit, uh, up front, I enjoy the Angry Birds game. Who doesn't? It's great. Uh, I mean, I haven't played it in a very long time, but, um, you know, because you move on with your life and find other things to do on the toilet. But (laughs) if you put it back on your phone, it it will immediately pull you back in. Angry Birds, as as, as an entity, as a game, is, is perfectly fine. And then along comes this movie... That begins with the Sony animation logo to let you know to lower your expectations right away. Yes. All right. Nothing good is going to happen here. Until they won an Academy Award for Spider-Verse. Yeah. Oh, geez. The leaps and bounds you're making from Angry Birds, the movie, (laughs) to Into the Spider-Verse is is substantial, to say the least. But um, so we, we start zooming in on this island. It's Bird Island. So named because uh, it's a bunch of birds. But it's a beautiful island. It is green and lush. It is surrounded by tranquil blue waters. There are high mountains and peaks, one of which that looks like the head of an eagle. More on that later. There are puffs of clouds around the rim of the island. And it really feels very storybook in the way that it sets up the movie at the beginning. Yes, and you know it. It asks some questions right away, like you said. There's the uh, the statue of of the eagle, and it's like, oh well, wait, who is this handsome character? <laughs> but we meet our main character, Red, who is voiced by Jason Sudeikis, who is doing an incredibly good impression of Jason Sudeikis. <laughs> yeah. He did not step out of uh, his comfort zone even a little bit for this movie. It's it's basically the Jason Sudeikis from, uh, I don't know. Everything. Millers. Um, <laughs> Jason Sudeikis always sounds like a Harley Davidson at a red light. There's like this consistent low level of grumbling with some staccato burst of loud noise. He's like, Hey Sam, I'm, 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 I'm red, the bird. And I'm not the, I'm, I'm not the friendliest bird, but you know, all these other words always, they always come around there and by there bugging the shit out of me, but it's, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Whoa, man, I'm an angry bird. Huh? I'm Jason Takers. Well done. That is well considered, <laughs> sir. Um, my follow-up is not nearly as good as that but i like to think of him as like chevy chase light he's not as charming he's not quite as smug but he's in the ballpark um but at the end of the day it's just as disappointing so red our our motorcycle fellow is falling all over the the place because in the world of angry birds uh birds can't fly uh, with rare exceptions there. We'll get to that. But but if you're in a world of birds that cannot fly, how do they know that that's a thing? That's like saying we are in a world of humans that can't fly or we're in a world where dogs can't breathe underwater. That's just their reality. It's not something that they know exists that they can't do. Yeah, and I already don't like it, Chad. Uh, like from jump where I'm like, oh, birds can't fly. Well, that's the one thing birds do. Otherwise, they're just 
They're just rats. But but our main character, Red, is one of those down-on-his-luck characters that is a little different than all of the other characters around him. And let me say at the beginning, this is, first off, it's not a very good movie. But I believe that there <laughs> is a better movie in this film that no one was able to find. Because if you really just paint by numbers, you have the constructs of making a typical American motion pictures where you have sort of the the down on their luck protagonist that is able to rise to the occasion. And we've seen this over and over. We've seen it with Marty McFly in Back to the Future, John McClane in Die Hard, Billy Peltzer in Gremlins, Sarah Connor in Terminator, Charlie Bucket in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Peter Parker in Spider-Man, but not the ones with Andrew Garfield. Basically any movie that Simon Pegg has ever been in. It is not complicated to take a character that is down on their luck, have the audience identify with this character and really root for them. Things are not going well in their life. They face opposition. The character hits a low point. They overcome their challenges and follow a arc, if you will. And in the end, they come out on top and we are happy for them. This movie rips off so many other movies and so many other ideas, but it fails to rip off the basic framework of a good story. It, it's the cinematic equivalent of Homer Simpson building a doghouse. <laughs> right? You can kind of see what it was supposed to be, but it's not usable. <laughs> you know what? Let's get back to our main character, Red. Let's see what Red is up to, because you know what? I'll bet it's gonna be a classic animated comedy film such as Toy Story or Kung Fu Panda. Remind me, how many times does Kung Fu Panda get hit in the balls? Because it happens right up front in this movie. I don't think Woody ever gets kicked in the dick. Kung Fu Panda may take it a couple of shots to the balls, but I've gotta go back and check my kicked in the dick scorecards. Our movie starts out and, and Red is running through the woods and he's carrying what appears to be an egg of sorts and he's late for something. And the movie shows that Red, as you noted earlier, cannot fly. And during his rush through this jungle, he falls off a cliff and he flaps his tiny arms and hands, but he plummets towards the ground all wily Coyote style. And the movie here establishes that no one is going to die in this film. This fall and the subsequent crashing of into branches would kill any living creature. Wouldn't it be great if he did die in this scene, Chad? At the opening? Yeah, if if the next scene is a bunch of like animal medical examiners <laughs> pulling him out of the gully. <laughs> and it was just like his family realizing he didn't have a will. And it was just a complicated legal drama where they're trying to figure out who owns what sad estate that he had cobbled together over the few years of his life. Sure, there's like the crazy matriarch of the red. <laughs> and if that fool hadn't gone and gotten hit in the balls and then broken his neck, we wouldn't be in this pickle now. But one of the things I like about this opening sequence is it's very light and it's rapid and it's fast paced. There are a few sight gags here and there. And it really feels, you know, it has, has whiffs of Warner Brothers. There's a scene where a snake, you know, hangs down and sort of scares Red. And you're like, okay, we're, we're having fun with this. But then the whole sequence, as you noted earlier, involves Red pinballing down through some trees and ultimately getting clocked in the cock with a tree branch. <laughs> I believe... Uh, clocked in the cock by a tree branch was originally Robert Frost. So credit where credit is due. 
Red arrives at the home of some other birds and he has this egg-shaped object in his hand that he's been carrying. And then Red, from nowhere, pulls out this giant polka dot bow tie, this squiggly rainbow-colored wig, and a purple top hat that looks like it's something that Cat Williams would wear to some sort of award show <laughs> to which he wasn't invited. <laughs> I listen up, boo-boo. Cat Williams wants in. Cat Williams, I get in. Also, how horrifying is it for someone to be a surprise clown out of nowhere? Incredibly. Yeah, if you're just hanging out with somebody, you know, waiting for the subway. <laughs> One second you look over, they're a perfectly normal person. You look over your second time, they got red hair poking out from a giant bald spot on their head and a giant bulbous red nose. It's terrifying, Chad. Do you remember when you and I went to see Mel Gibson in Hamlet and our friend showed up to surprise us and a lot of things happened, but it culminated with you and I watching the movie and then us looking over and seeing that somehow Harry Houdini style had completely taken off all of his clothes and was completely nude in the movie theater. And then at that point, the 75 year old hobgoblin movie theater security guard projectionist came down to yell at us. And luckily he stayed two rows behind it and he didn't realize that Ben was totally naked. You remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Of course. Of course you remember that. <laughs> the ball bearings <laughs> is, uh, is something I think about at least once a month. Showed up with a, with a bag of BBs and sat in the back of the movie theater and one by one dropped them on the floor so that they would roll down the theater and clank on the metal seats because he knew we were in the theater. You would hear, like when he dropped it, you would hear tick, 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 clank, clank, clank. He was the closest thing to Andy Kaufman that we ever knew. Yes, that is. That is accurate. <laughs> Do you know what he does now? He lives on a peach farm and grows peaches and let's be honest, weed. Right. In anticipation for that glorious stage ad. No, well, that's just so he can make it profitable right now. It's more right. just of a personal hobby. So Red is now dressed as a clown and this small child bird answers the door at what we understand to be this small child bird's birthday party, which is kind of the saddest thing ever because this kid apparently has no friends at his birthday party. It's just this kid and his bird mom and his bird dad hanging out there. And this kid opens the door and he immediately starts screaming as there is a red clown bird at his home on his birthday. His parents did not make a good call here. That kid's traumatized for life. And it ain't going to get any better either. No. Uh, because Red is like, hey, I know what will save the day. Let me open up my egg-shaped basket to reveal this kid's birthday cake. But because apparently Red did all that flip-flopping around in the jungle, there is now like a, a squirrel embedded in said cake. Right. Uh, which has been partially eaten by this squirrel. And Red's like, like, hey, I tried to keep the cake safe of it. You know, what are you going to do? It's, it's, it's got a squirrel. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, you know, whoa, that's crazy. It's, it's me. Anyway, I'm, I'm Red. And, you, know, you know, here's the weird thing about this. You know, when I was on my way over here, I was kind of around. I kind of like, oh, I, my, my ass got ripped up. Hey, take a look at my ass. And he turns around and puts his naked butt cheeks in this child's face. Mm-hmm. On his birthday, in front of his uh -huh. parents, that's inappropriate. This is what makes this character immediately unlikable. When you shove your ass in the birthday boy's face, 
you have become the jerk of the party. I can tell you that from experience, Chad. It's happened <laughs> to me no less than four times. Red as a character, and I get that he's angry, but he's a jerk and he's a dick. Yeah, this is a common chorus in Pick 6 movies episodes where <laughs> we have a situation where the, the filmmakers forget that you have to like the main character. We, we see it all the time on this show. With your Chevy Chases. Yeah, or your Jason Sudeikis eye. Your Tom Cruises. Yeah, I mean, you have those those characters. Like the Tom Cruise character from The Mummy, Nick Spaulding or whatever the hell his name was. Uh, like a completely blank, unlikable character who's just mm-hmm. an asshole to everyone around him. And it's like, okay, so why is he the hero of this movie? And in the same way, Red, much like Tom Cruise, Chad, is that kind of jerk. You get a whiff, at, to your point earlier about like how all the pieces for a movie are here, there is a whiff of that where Edward is the, the name of the bird uh, who has hired red to uh come to his home and traumatize his child well god bless you for knowing that i just wrote down that he's hannibal burris but keep going but he says hey you should take responsibility for your actions and you're like that sounds like a theme chad what his what he says is if you're gonna be late don't lie tell the truth and be responsible for your actions and this is a clear bullshit message for all of the kids watching this film and here's why it's bullshit red is telling the truth. Red did his absolute best, and the adults in this movie don't believe him. And when I say it's a bullshit message, what I mean that it is a message about the bullshit of life. Maybe Red has issues with time management. I'm not going to deal with all of his personal problems. But the, the adult in this scene is like, hey, you're lying. Don't feed me a line of bullshit. And Red's like, no, no, this is really what happened. And so for kids watching the movie, it's like, well, that dude's telling the truth. Adults just don't believe him. Edward is like, hey, by the way, you're buying the cake since you showed up with a fucking squirrel in it. That is grounds for we're not paying for it. If I go to buy a cake from a bakery and I bring it home and there's a squirrel in it, I'm asking for a refund. So Red takes this cake and throws it in in this dude's face. This had to be... The greatest birthday ever for this child. You know, like when you when you talk to him later in life, this had to be one of the ultimate moments. Like just like you're not going to believe this shit. When I was 10 years old, this clown showed up and my drunk dad was there and they started mouthing off and the clown had a cake with a squirrel in it. And the clown was just like, fuck you. And he took the cake and smashed it into my dad's face and it was amazing until my dad you know he took out all of his anger on me and my mom and then that's when she you know realized she's got to get us away from him because it's gonna end badly he owned a lot of guns and he he used to just drive around at night by himself a lot and and that chevy impala just drove around the block (laughs) listen the house of the rising sun on a loop i i don't i never got inside his head and it wasn't a situation where like he he could never tell me he loved me he only said like eight words to me my entire life um so so because this is a movie for kids chad uh uh, red slips on a squirrel and then goes ass over tea kettle into the bird family's egg 
child. You know, he accidentally births <laughs> their new child and says, oh, it's a boy. Mm-hmm. And then, again, because for kids, Paranoid by Black Sabbath starts playing. Because that's probably the most popular song among the kids these days. And, and amongst this sequence of events, there's a weird hard freeze frame where you see red with his eyebrows furrow and the screen is a wash in the color red and it's just like angry birds and it has this real punk rock feel to it again if this were a movie where like you know he dies in the first act and then we have a motorcycle gang in the second now i'm on board again right. you know, like a punk rock animated film that sounds all right do you like Jason Sudeikis voicing the main character in this film? I don't. I think it's too distracting. I think there's a lot of bad casting in this movie, as a matter of fact. Do you feel that this movie would have worked better if you had cast an actor who was actually filled with rage? Like uh, your Lewis Blacks? Hold on a moment. It's time for a game. Ladies and gentlemen. Uh-oh. Who would make a better voice actor for the Angry Birds movie protagonist? Let's get our first contestant, Bo Ransdell. Thank you so much for showing up. Here we go. I'm excited. Let's play the game. All right, Bo. I'm going to give you a list of actors that you have to tell me who would make a better voice actor for this film. Jason Sudeikis or the actor that I name. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. Here we go. Alec Baldwin. Sudeikis. Christian Bale. Bale. George C. Scott. George C. Scott. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Bruce Willis. Uh, probably Sudeikis. Al Pacino, but back when he gave a shit about acting. Pacino. Jack Nicholson, but totally not giving a shit. <laughs> Nicholson all day. <laughs> what is this? Who? <laughs> Angry what's? All right. <laughs> Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. You're goddamn right. Orson Welles. Orson Welles. Robert Shaw. Oh, God, Robert Shaw, of course. <laughs> Farewell and a duty Spanish birds. <laughs> Samuel Jackson. Yeah, Sam Jackson, of course. Charlton Heston. Yes. Nicolas Cage. Yes. Jack Palance. Oh, God, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, pull him out of retirement, sure. <laughs> Alan Rickman. Yeah. Danny Trejo? Yes. Nick Nolte? Yes. Charles Bronson? Yes. Clint Eastwood? Or young or old? Old. Yes. Young? No. And the obvious actor to play this part, Sean Penn? Yeah, why not let him speak in this movie? <laughs> right! The Oscar Award winner. How about we let him say something? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Angry Birds the movie. Are you people stupid? <laughs> why wouldn't you cast i was you know one name that i left off that list was dennis leary like mm -hmm. why don't you sure. have a character that everything about them is fuck you right sudeikis is a little too much he's too smarmy yeah yeah you need someone who is a little bit more of a raw nerd why hasn't sudeikis played fletch yet better yet why hasn't bill heater played fletch yet oh my god Either one of them. If you tell me either one of those guys who are both in this shitty movie, either one of them's playing Fletch, I'll give you my 10 bucks right now. Yeah. If, and if you told me that they were both in the movie and you had Sudeikis in the uh, Tim Matheson role, how <laughs> great would that be? You know, be and then just bring Gina Davis back. I, uh, I'm on board with all that. Except now she's the editor. Chad, look, fuck this Angry Birds thing. I think we got a Fletch movie to make. 
We follow all of this up with a montage of Red throughout his day-to-day -day activity just being angry. And Red is angry standing in line with a bunch of other birds. And then like a mom bird shows up to make him angry. And then a mime shows up. And then I think Red elbows the mime in his dick or maybe his stomach. Then the makers of this movie decide to go back in time without telling the audience. <laughs> yeah, what is this, a true faux film where we're doing flashbacks and then a flash sideways and then we're forward again? We see Red in an elementary school as a child bird and then the mean girl birds, they're making fun of him because he has thick eyebrows. And in a better movie, his eyebrows would serve to be a beneficial part of his character later on. But if you want to go cheap and easy, maybe you have a love interest later in the future find his eyebrows to be cute or something that she is attracted to when Red gets the girl. Which, by the way, how does this movie not have a plucky, headstrong female angry bird who could almost be a love interest? What, was Kristen Wiig busy that week? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know that's who it would have been. Yeah, I mean, it's just a bunch of, like, like he kicks this little kid into the water for kicking a ball against his house. Yeah, but you know what? When he kicks that kid, the kid's kicking a soccer ball against his house and he goes outside. And when he kicks that kid, the kid's like, wee, splash. Which uh -huh. I'm like, wait a minute. Everyone in Bird City, they all kind of know each other. And suddenly he's kicked this kid off into the water. Wouldn't it have been better if maybe this kid had just yelled out like, fuck my rib splash. Help, I can't swim. And then it's just basically gone, baby, gone or something like that. Or bird, baby, bird. I don't know how that all works out. But we're essentially just covering up a child murder. Chad, it would be goose, baby, goose. <laughs> <laughs> back to our montage red is in a movie theater and some guy sneezes on his popcorn and just covers it with thick goopy snot and so red gets angry and then red's at the doctor and a doctor hits his knee with a reflex hammer and red smacks the doctor in the face and then we see red eating lunch in the park he's on a lunch break from being a birthday clown is that his job it's a noble profession chad Maybe, you know what? Maybe Red is just a picnic enthusiast. Or, Bo, are you an enthusiast about anything? Yeah, I would say I'm an, an enthusiast about horror films. I'm an enthusiast about drinking, drinking alcohol. Oh, sure. Some people I know say I'm an alcoholic, but I say I'm an alcoholist. I don't know what the distinction is there. An alcoholic tries to hide it, and an alcoholist does not. Oh, you celebrated. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> you played into that joke so well. I was so happy about that when I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> and my therapist was like, good for you, Chad. It's not true, is it? Because then we really need to talk about some stuff. No, it's not. And I don't have a therapist. This is a real, this statement is true. The previous statement is false scenario. <laughs> Where we could like freak out one of them Blade Runner robots. Oh, oh, right. So the Angry Birds we should talk about. Um, <laughs> at one point, Red is out on the town, you know, in the in the town square and whatnot. And a lady bird is looking at him and giving him, you know, the, the eye, Chad. Giving yeah, him a little sexy bird look. It's like 1970s flirting. There's a lot of eye winking and like kissing your fingers and a blowing a kiss. 
Oh, those were the days, Chad. Can you imagine doing that shit these days to show someone that you are romantically interested, like winking and kissing and blowing? Uh, I can see all of those things, quite frankly, Chad. <laughs> I am, I'm, a, I'm a man in love with love. But so he sees this lady giving him the eye. He thinks, you know, he, he starts to puff up a little bit. And then he realizes, oh, no, there's a sexier bird behind him. Yeah, well, he's up on a branch above him. Like, he... Monkey bird or something. Yeah, and this asshole bird climbs down to go, I guess what, fuck these other three birds. Which I was like, well, did Red sit under a tree where there was a guy on a branch? Or did this guy climb up on a branch when Red was eating his lunch? Either way, it's really weird. <laughs> well, you know, every morning I, uh, I I eat my lunch under the orgy tree. <laughs> But then the makers of our film decide to confuse us even more, and once again, without any notice, they flash back not only to when Red was a child, but when Red wasn't even hatched. They show us an egg in the lost and found department of a store, the city, an abortion clinic. Why are we seeing the origin story of Red? Like, this is all we need to know. Like, as soon as we saw the eyebrow thing, it's like, oh, okay, he was bullied a little bit. That's a story. And now it's like, no, he's also, not only was he bullied, but he was also thrown away from the beginsies of his life. Yeah. And then we get our title card. <laughs> uh, we cut from the title card to Red, who is in court rightfully for the cake stunt he pulled. It turns out that the the egg he broke open when the bird, one thing that is much like uh, your uh, your Twilight films, Chad, as soon as a bird see the first thing a bird sees, it impresses upon them, uh, much like Jake from the Twilight story on the baby, which was super weird, which is why I remember it. Maybe it wasn't a, a situation where the baby bird impressed on Red. Maybe Red is actually the daddy of this baby. Maybe Red hooked up with this married woman, got her pregnant and he just wanted to see his son, and the only way to do it was to dress up as a birthday clown. That would have made for a better movie. Maybe this is just basically Simon Birch, but with birds. <laughs> I really... <laughs> That's very clever. I thought you were going to make a Mrs. Doubtfire pun involving birds. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't know what... The, Mrs. Duckfire was all I could come up with, and that, that felt wrong. <laughs> so Judge Peckinpah... Ugh. Tell, tells him, tells Red, like, no one likes you. And then Red, like, he gets all pissed off and and flips out. And Red reveals that the judge is doing that two kids in a trench coat routine only with another bird. Yeah, it's, it's that same bird that snotted all over his popcorn. He keeps sneezing everywhere that he goes. But the judge is on the shoulders of the sneezy bird in the child's trench coat which all i could think about was how often are the lower bird sneezes confused as being the judge owl's ejaculate <laughs> uh, i mean a hundred percent of the time what would you think <laughs> that's all i would think if i were standing in front of you in a trench coat chad <laughs> and all of a sudden an explosion of viscous fluid came from the crotchal region <laughs> your first reaction wouldn't be like do you have a little person in there sneezing? Back in bird court, this Judge Al sentences Red to anger management classes. So in a children's movie, we have introduced a few concepts. One of them is courtroom litigation. Uh, another is anger management. These are two things that children do not need to know exist. You have to explain to, to children at this point 
Yeah, so sometimes people get so angry that they can't control it, and they lash out violently. You've seen your uncle. <laughs> or your dad. Your grandpa. Right. Or your other uncle. Or your other grandpa. Or your other dad. Or your stepdad. You know, you're surrounded by a lot of men that lash out violently. It's an Irish family, Chad, <laughs> is the bigger problem. Just make Red an angry bird. You don't need all of this nonsense around him. And even when the judge says, hey, Red, nobody in town likes you. They only pretend to like you. Then then Red says, pluck my life. Why do you interject those kind of jokes in a movie like this? Or better yet, why not go full on with this stupid gag? Have Red scream out, you know what? Pluck me, pluck you, pluck your wife, pluck your kid over here. Why don't you shut the pluck up, your mother plucking piece of plucking pluck? That would be a much better movie, especially if it were Pacino, like Dog Day Afternoon era. Red leaves the courtroom and then he heads through Bird Village and every bird is friendly to him. None of them show any distinguishing characteristics of not liking him. Well, was this owl judge just being a jerk and saying nobody likes him? And then as he walks through the village, there are a bunch of stupid gags and there is a stand that sells early bird worms and you're like oh okay whatever i guess these birds eat worms because you know earlier red was eating a sandwich i'm like well he eats sandwiches why would he eat worms and then there is a store that sells apples and it is cleverly called the apple store i i like that uh the mime that he harassed earlier Uh uh-huh just starts following him and mocking him yeah uh which is fun and so speaking of the stuff that we're kind of strolling by, like there's this pregnant bird yoga class. And yeah. I'm like, is that a joke? Maybe. Or is it just like, hey, these birds do yoga. He's walking through this village and he reaches a crosswalk and there's a crossing guard that allows children to go from one side of the street to the other. And my question is, why is there a crosswalk? There are no cars in this bird village. And as all these kids cross the street, Red yells out at this one mom, Hey, uh, you ever thought about bird control? First off, I hate puns. <laughs> yeah, they're awful. Generally speaking, they are, although I think I've I've started to indulge in them more than I should. I should probably admit that. Why are we talking about birth control in this movie as a joke? Yeah, well, I mean, why are we playing Black Sabbath? Why are we making the substituting pluck for fuck? You know, it's just a lot of this where you're like, I don't know who this movie is intended for. Like, if it's 12, 13, 14. How about middle-aged people that are dragging their kids to this movie? Myself included. Because, you know what, full disclosure, I saw this film in the theaters. Oh, that's horrifying. Oh, you know what? I'm not proud of that, but I did. Look, at least you can admit it. And that's really the first step towards coming to terms with it. Red makes his way through the bird village. And there is this big beige bird in front of a hut that says, Hug Trader. With a smaller sign that says, First Hug Free. What is this guy's business plan? That people would just like pay him for hugs? Mm-hmm. Do you think that the censors of this film made them change his sign from rub and hug trader to just hug trader to get that PG rating? I think that it was originally a T and they just changed it to an H. <laughs> <laughs> so it went from tug trader to hug trader. Yeah, that's right, Chad. Because at best, this guy's a simpleton. At worst, he's a bird pervert. 
or a bird pedophile, right? I think it's like when you wear a t-shirt that says like free mustache rides. (laughs) You know, that's a terrible thing to walk around offering to the general public. Red makes his way through the village and this mime comes up. And as you noted earlier, he's kind of making fun of Red because, you know, we got to keep kicking him while he's down. (laughs) Red makes his way to this anger management class to which he was sentenced about five minutes ago. Talk about good timing. Well, outside, someone has constructed this like hideous scarecrow that is supposed to be a a greeter of sorts. And it's this thing that's like built of two by fours and bent nails and springs and and nightmares uh red uh is trying to get past it but it keeps rocking in his way and kind of bouncing into him and he's getting angrier and angrier he gets in an altercation with this inanimate scarecrow object it's like it's kind of like a metronome the way it ticks and talks back and forth and i believe that this whole sequence was part of a teaser trailer for this film And I want to say, I think that the pacing and timing of this scene of him beating up this sign is probably the funniest moment in this whole movie. It's got a a Daffy Duck kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like some of some of this stuff isn't poorly directed. It just, you know, as we'll get to, just doesn't amount to anything at all. Right. But as he, you know, ends up all tangled up with this uh, monstrous inanimate object. This woman, or a female bird, uh, is strolling by and and suggests, Chad, that his anger might be contagious. Yeah, well, to her young son. She says, don't look, Billy. The anger may be contagious. And she shields her son's eyes. But the kid breaks away from his mother, and he waves happily at Red, and he smiles. And this type of behavior happens multiple times throughout this film, where kids within the universe of the movie are really drawn to Red and see him as not a bad guy, which was sort of a weird perspective on the movie. Like, you know, it was, it was like, oh, no, no, kids can see he's really a good dude. Because let's be honest, Red is a dick. Yeah, that's not the read I had on it, Chad. I felt like what we were dealing with here is a real village of of the dam scenario (laughs) where all the kids are just little psychopaths and they just see, you know, a kindred spirit in Red of like, you know, here's the one adult that we might let live once we all telekinetically join our thoughts and powers. So uh, Red ends up going inside where we meet our the rest of the movie. Um... (laughs) And it, it starts with Matilda, as played by Maya Rudolph, who is the the leader of this uh, anchor management group. She doesn't do anything with this role, does she? No, she certainly doesn't seem to care. No. Um, which is weird, because Maya Rudolph is usually reliably the best part of most movies she's in. She's our leader of this group. And she's real hippy-dippy. She's kind of yeah. touchy-feely, holistic, you know, welcome to my hut where I'm going to help you get in touch with your feelings and we're all... There's dream catchers scattered around the place. It's that kind of... Yeah, it's real new age. As Red walks in, he goes past these statues. The first one has two birds holding hands and then he walks past the next one, which has three birds in a circle, like meditating. And then the last set of statues he walks by is just this mountain of birds in a full-blown bird orgy. Yeah, it's a a real uh, Kama Sutra for birds. Cardinal Sutra? Cardinal Sutra is 
the right way to go with that. <laughs> God damn it. Um, so he meets Bomb as voiced by Danny McBride, who is kind of doing a voice and he shouldn't. Danny McBride in his performance is unusually subdued. I mean, Danny McBride is usually one of those people that's just let off the chain to run around and do his thing. But in this movie, he's pretty understated. It really, it's frustrating. And he's also kind of graveling up his voice some and getting a little deeper with it. Right. But it just still sounds like Danny McBride, only Danny McBride not doing a great voice. And let me also say his character, Bomb, which why is he not named Bob? Like Bob, Bomb. And he's a big, he's basically the the bird from the game that has a fuse. And when he lands in places, he explodes and they they explain this in the the movie but it doesn't make any sense are you saying that his character explodes and all of his explosions happen out of sight until the end and we'll get to that later to explain what the hell's going on and also during this meeting we also get uh, introduced to chuck who is voiced by josh gad and chuck is the yellow bird from the game that when you tap on the bird, he gets this extra burst of energy. So Chuck talks very quickly and he's very, you know, hyperact. Yeah. And so basically what we have here, Chad, is the bird X-Men. Yes. Like it's sort of everything, but like Patrick Stewart rolling out in his, you know, X-Men wheelchair and being like, here we have him, Chuck. Yes. He's very fast like Quicksilver. And mm-hmm. here's Bomb. He blows up. How would you, you, is Terrence Blob? Yeah, Terrence is Blob, uh, Chuck is Quicksilver, and Bomb is, I don't know, there's probably one of them that blew up in one of them comics. Right. And so we do get the introduction of Terrence as voiced by Sean Penn, even though he never speaks in the movie. Not one line. No. Which is, oh my God, it's so stupid. Like, everything about Sean Penn as Terrence is stupid. One, you're not letting him talk. And uh, as we pointed out earlier, he is your Oscar-winning actor in this film. Also, the joke of him being this angry character is predicated on you knowing a thing that happened in the 1980s. Right. Which even if, Chad, you are the parent of, say, I don't know, an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. The chances of you being able to make that connection right. are pretty slim. That's why you let Terrence be voiced by O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Terrence is O.J.? Yeah. Mm. I don't mm. think you can allow that because I think it's one of those things where you can't profit on the crime that you committed. Don't pay him. That, fair enough. That's just more public service for him. Vin Diesel did more voice acting as Groot than Sean Penn did as Terrence. Absolutely. Sean Penn did this in 25 minutes. I think they just, they recorded him while he was sleeping. He was like, (laughs) 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 right. Yeah. Uh, You know, whatever 19 year old supermodel he's currently dating, just mailed it in. Elizabeth Taylor did more voice acting as Maggie Simpson. Because she actually spoke one word. Like the one time you hear anything out of Sean Penn, other than, is that la 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 la. And I'm not convinced that's him. No. It's Grossberger from Stir Crazy. Right. And that's the gag, which again, why are you ripping off Stir Crazy in a movie that is theoretically intended for children? As opposed to grandparents? 
I I mean, I don't know, Chad. I mean, I just don't understand. John Vitti, you know, wrote for The Simpsons even, speaking of, of that reference we've made a couple of times already tonight. And it's, it's head-scratching that somebody who is insanely talented, comedically talented, wrote something like this that just uh, seems so... Lazy? Yeah, it 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 is. It's it's you're ripping off all these other things and not caring about who the intended audience is. Red says, "Hey everybody, look. Uh, in my backstory, I beat up some guys, and uh, I went to this kid's birthday party, and uh, I smashed the dad in the face with a cake, and uh, I went to court, and and I look, I'm an asshole, and I'm here now, and uh, you guys can basically, uh, you can all just like fuck off, right? Let's also delve into Chuck's backstory. Chuck, the yellow fast one." He tells his backstory where he received a speeding ticket, even though this bird village does not have any cars. And while the officer is writing uh, Chuck his speeding ticket, Chuck speeds away to the cop's office to kind of monkey around with all of his stuff uh, of the arresting officer. And then Chuck messes up this officer's papers all to the sounds of KRS-One's 1993 hip-hop classic, Sound of the Police. During this scene, Chuck scrapes his ass across the police officer's desk. Yeah, that's right. He rubs his ass on the desk, yes. And then Chuck zips back to where he's standing beside this bird cop who's still writing the ticket. And Chuck's like, hey, I got some more time to go, you know, have some shenanigans. So Chuck steals this bird cop's wallet and he takes all of the bird cop's money and goes and buys alcohol for other birds at a bar while the bird cop is still writing the ticket. And none of this makes any sense because it would take way too long for all of these birds to get booze while the bird cop is writing the ticket for Chuck to zip back over. So not if you're an expert, Chad. (laughs) And then to cap it all off, Chuck, he takes a shit on this bird cop shirt. It is initially shown that the white bird shit that hits the cop is actually ice cream. But then we cut back to the anger management class and then Chuck admits that it was really bird shit and not ice cream that landed on the bird cop shirt. Yes. So he rubbed his ass on a cop's desk and then he went out and took his money and bought alcohol for other birds. And then he shit on this police officer's clothing. Yeah. He's basically critical bill from things to do in Denver when you're dead. (laughs) We also get some backstory to Terrence, the oversized great big red bird voiced by uh, Sean Penn, wink, wink. And then Matilda, she starts reading from this file folder about Terrence's background and this ominous music plays. And then Matilda just wide-eyed glosses over Terrence's horrible offenses found in this folder. And she just is like, like, homina, homina, homina. My thought was, on an island this small, wouldn't all of the birds already know each other? And second, wouldn't they know of their public infractions? Especially if they were as horrific as implied by Matilda in this scene. Yeah, we get a full-on, like, Oliver Stone splash of police lights when we zoom in on the character as she's reading this file. And it's like, yeah, if it's that, you know, legendary a crime, then yes, every person would know he would be the Hannibal Lecter of Bird Island. (laughs) Toughens your nipples, doesn't it? So later in the day, uh, Red, Chuck, and Bomb are walking through the bird village. And Bomb says that his 
explosion earlier just kind of squeaked out. And I was like, well, are these just giant farts? I, I don't know what, what's going on here. And then Red tells Chuck and Bomb, he's like, hey, 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 you guys, look, uh, I got nothing to do. So uh, I'm going to go hang out by myself. So you two can just go fuck off. Pretty pretty much exactly what he says, only um, poor Bomb is, you know, hurt by this. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he's like, oh, I don't want to hang out with you either. I'm not Danny McBride. I'm doing a voice. There's a bit where he's like, I can't hang out with you either because I'm doing a thing. And it turns out he's just terrible at lying. And it's one of those things that in a comedy, you know, family comedy or not, comedies ought to be funny. And this movie just isn't. (laughs) Hold on. Let me write this down in the big book of things Bo says that are true. Comedies ought to be funny. Yeah, <laughs> it really does sometimes where you're just like, you know what, uh, if you're if you're making a comedy, make make damn sure that people are laughing. Red, after he leaves these losers, is walking through town and all around him. As he's walking, we get the melodic creation that is Limp Biscuit doing a cover of Behind Blue Eyes. Oh, originally performed by The Who. If that ain't the perfect metaphor for this movie of like something that is probably pretty good if you saw the original version of it, but this cheap knockoff is a real piece of shit. <laughs> this movie has a bird mime and Limp Biscuit cover songs. Do you think that's how they pitched it? <laughs> Look, we got Limp Biscuit on board to do a cover of the most depressing Who song ever. <laughs> And by the way, just just for funsies for the kids, we got bird mimes. During this sequence, we see that hugging bird trying to embrace red again. There are all there in the background, there's also a birds and bees fertility clinic in this bird village, which their economy is riddled with a strange assortment of small businesses. There is a bird fertility clinic. Does that mean that the man birds in this village go into this building and jerk off to bird porn? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, they're they're looking at Playbill. <laughs> Pent birdhouse. Sure. Um, <laughs> Red's walking through Bird Village and he's really sad because he sees other birds enjoying each other's company. There are male birds and female birds. There are groups of birds hanging out. There is a mom bird sitting on an egg. And she and her bird fella, they are excitedly awaiting the birth of their baby bird. And Red in this scene is a real sad sack. But wait, Red just told two birds that wanted to hang out with him to go fuck themselves because he didn't want to hang out with them because they're losers. Does Red want friends or not? Yeah, the movie doesn't know. The movie doesn't know what the message of the movie is, and that's a real problem. You can put that in yes. the book right beside the comedy yes. thing. Uh, like it does, it, it's clearly trying to tell a story. It sh- just isn't sure what story it wants to tell. And so we end up having another weird flashback. During this flashback, we see Red as a small child on a field trip in school. 
and there's all these kids and they're at this statue of Mighty Eagle. And the teacher says that no one's seen Mighty Eagle in many years and Mighty Eagle is missing. And Red, again here as an elementary aged bird says, when will Mighty Eagle come back? And then the mean girl birds say, eyebrows, didn't your parents tell you that Mighty Eagle isn't even real? And then another girl says, shh, he doesn't know that. He doesn't have parents. I got a couple things I want to point out here. Number nice. one, is she shushing the other girl because she doesn't want Red to know that Mighty Eagle may be a myth? Or is she shushing the other girl because of her social faux pas and not knowing that Red has no parents? I think it's more the latter, Chad. Um, and I don't think they're wrong. Number two, uh. if Red has no parents... Who is feeding him, enrolling him in school, teaching him to speak, teaching him to wipe his ass, and teaching him to be a colossal dick to all of his fellow birds? Uh, you know, one presumes it comes somewhat naturally to him to be an <laughs> asshole. The, the thing that I, I, I think you, you pose a good question, though, because as we see later uh, in the movie, or maybe it was earlier, who cares? To, to be fed in Bird Island is to have a parent vomit their food into your mouth. Right. So who is doing that for Red? Nobody. Is this the equivalent of like a child who was never breastfed? Look, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, and I started off this review saying I think there is a really good movie in here, even though it's based on a mobile phone app. I do think that when you follow the paint by numbers, you could have created the character of Red as being a sympathetic individual that is just sort of a victim of circumstance maybe he doesn't have parents maybe he looks a little different we've seen this time and time again but this movie just seems to sort of embrace all of that and then just like punch it in the stomach and get it all wrong it's not that hard to, to invite the audience to like your main character and root for them to succeed. This movie does the opposite of that. It creates a main character that the whole time is like, fuck you guys, you guys are assholes. You know what? This is my butthole. Why don't you suck it? And it just, it does not work. Well, and you know, the big lesson of this movie is, you know what? Sometimes you should be angry, which doesn't seem right. But also, how do you go against the brand Angry Birds? If the point of the movie Angry Birds is that the birds shouldn't be angry, then you got no movie because, you know, it's called Angry Birds. Or you embrace that and say, look, everybody has a talent and a strength and lean into that and use it to a positive advantage. Right. If the point of the movie had been read saying, like, my superpower, like, bomb blows up. Right. Uh, Chuck is really fast. My superpower is being able to channel my anger and be an, oh, an X-Men. Yes. Then that would have been great, but that doesn't happen. And no. I, I, and here's another thing that I want to savor for a second, Chad, is you doing the fan fiction side of this uh, yet again. <laughs> So after being abandoned for what's probably good reasons, uh, the the flashback ends with him being, you know, 
sad at being alone. He creates a model of his own house, and we get this juxtaposition of his home against the other homes of the birds in the village. And for what it's worth, his home is amazing. His home has a roof deck. It has a lazy river that runs through it. His home is on the beach. Everyone else is in Bird Village. His house is, dare I say, awesome. And he creates this tiny model and he holds it up and it's implied that he wishes his home was part of Bird Village. He wasn't banished from the village. He chose to live outside the village. It's a little uh, column A, little uh, column B here, where it was like, I'm going to have a nice house on the beach. And people were like, good, good. You stay as far away from town as, as you could, please. What is Red's motivation in this movie? Like, what does his character want? Does he want friends? Does he want acceptance? Does he want children? Does he want parents? Does he want to be able to fly? Does he want to not be angry? According to the movie, his big motivation is not being in the anger management class. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's what it is. It's every now and again, Judge Peckinpah shows up to be like, well, if you don't clean up your act, I'm going to keep you in anger management. He's like, oh, stupid Peckinpah. Hey, let's cut to an inciting incident for this film because nothing has happened so far. Yeah, you're so right. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> At this point... A boat shows up on the horizon and makes its way to the shores of Bird Island. And it is this steampunk ship that comes ashore and crashes into Red's house and all but destroys it. And then a gangplank comes down and we meet Leonard, the head green pig voiced by Bill Hader. All of the voice acting in this movie is not very inspired. And I really think that Bill Hader is a national treasure. I mm -hmm. love Bill Hader. But the voice that he uses in this film for Leonard sounds like the early voice of Homer Simpson in those original shorts on the Tracy Ullman show. It's like this variation on a theme of Walter Matthau, only like slightly more velvety. Like Leonard is this fat green pig with this chin strap beard, which look, that's no replacement for a jawline. He kind of looks like he's maybe Amish or maybe former Attorney General C. Everett Coop. Yeah, yeah, it's a little Coopish, Coop esque. Yeah. Leonard says, Hey, birds, look, I'm a pig and you're not alone in the universe. Me and my first mate, Ross, we mean you no harm. And we're definitely the only two pigs on this boat. Trust me. And, and, and Leonard's lying. Because whenever anyone in a movie says, trust me, they're lying. Which conversely, when someone in a film says, do you trust me? You can totally trust them. But if they say, trust no one, then you can trust them at first. But later on, they're going to be lying and you can't trust them. So pay attention to all that. <laughs> right. You can... Uh hear more about that in our side podcast the shifting loyalties of cinema there's a big party to celebrate the arrival of the pigs and uh leonard's like oh we gotta tell the king and they're like well, king and he's like no nothing and hey birds let's be friends you can just call me i don't know buttermaker I got a warm six-pack of Coors in the backseat of my convertible, if you're thirsty. 
Don't jump in the pool, Engelberg. You'll flood the whole valley. <laughs> well, and then he's like, guess what I got? Trampolines and slingshots. And everyone goes fucking apeshit on Bird Island for trampolines and slingshots. It's... But then again, if you you have an entire civilization where you've got the the closest thing you have to entertainment is like crazy Eddie, what gives hugs on the edge of town and hand jobs, right? The tug tug trader, um, <laughs> you got that guy, or somebody shows up and is like, hey, we're a bunch of different animals that maybe you can fuck because let's face it, <laughs> who doesn't. Who doesn't like a little fun here and there? We have these <laughs> these slingshots, and then we got the bouncy trampolines, and it would blow your mind. It would be the greatest thing since the discovery of the you know monolith on the moon. Well, well not only because he originally he's like he's like, hey, look, guys, look, it's just me and my first meet, Ross. But we got a couple other pigs here, Oinky and John Ham. And you're oh. just like, wait, what? Like, th- those are the pigs bouncing on the trampolines. Because here, John Hamm, see, he was an actor from Mad Men. And he played Don Draper, which was really popular at the time that this movie came out. And Ham is a pork product. So John Hamm is funny. Yeah. I mean, how could you possibly care about any of this? And then... Why would you give a trampoline to anyone? A trampoline is the is a terrible gift to someone. It, it falls just below giving someone lottery tickets or a card that says a charitable donation has been made in your name. Man, let me tell you my little tip. If you really want to extricate someone from your life and make sure that they never invite you to another birthday party as long as you both shall live (laughs) show up to a birthday party with a puppy a live puppy (laughs) that is my go-to of just like here's years of obligation that's going to end in tears (laughs) best case scenario you're devastated and sad Right, right. Anytime somebody has the audacity, the sheer audacity, Chad, to invite you to a situation that requires a gift. Weddings, birthday parties, anniversary parties, you know, baby showers, what have you. Any of that. Just show up with a puppy. And a copy of Marley and Me. (laughs) A Dog's Purpose and its sequel, the box set. The pigs offer up a a gift that is a slingshot because that's a thing from the game that we need to introduce into our movie. The last gift that Leonard, the head pig, says requires a volunteer. And so Leonard uh, calls up a pig onto the stage amidst this party that turns out to be Red because during this entire sequence, Red has essentially just been heckling Leonard and being a royal asshole. And then once on stage, Leonard puts Red into the slingshot and Leonard fires Red into the air and out of the party. So the third gift was getting rid of Red? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think the whole town appreciated that. (laughs) I don't disagree. Right. I mean, like you said, the the whole night from the crowd, he's just been like, you suck. (laughs) You know, it's like, hey, man, we showed up with the... uh, As far as they know, 
at this point have just shown up with a bunch of trampolines and uh puppies and who doesn't and slingshots and yeah 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 get red the fuck out of there so but we follow red to where he lands near the boats and chuck and bomb show up to join him in exploring the boat because that's what the script needs to happen inside the the boat they find a bunch of uh of trampolines and then because again chad it's a kid's movie there's a, a desk where i don't know if you notice the book on the desk uh but it's 50 shades of green uh i i I know i know and then there's uh, a sign above a radio that says ham radio because uh pigs (sighs) and they uh ultimately find a bunch of small pigs that are hiding in the hole yeah bomb is bouncing around on one of the trampolines and he crashes through the floor and down in the lower hull there are all of these green pigs which hey bo were you going to make an Amistad joke here? <laughs> I wasn't until just Yeah, me, now. me neither. I wasn't, I wasn't going to make an Amistad joke. Let's move on. Um, Red marches back into the big party and he says, Hey, the jig is up. The boat is full of pigs and there are trampolines and there's TNT boxes and there's toilet plungers from the mobile app game. You know, what's going on here? At this point, one of the pigs takes two of the plungers and he smacks them on his chest to look like large breast with the longest handled nipples you've ever seen. Can you imagine this happening in an early Walt Disney animated movie intended for children? Can you imagine if one of the seven dwarves took off his shirt and slapped two plungers over his man boobs to make them look like a naked woman's breast and wiggled his hips in sexy fashion with extended nipples and just gyrated them in a figure eight motion. This is a movie for children and we have a pig with big titties and long nipples. My actual note here is this is gross. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then Leonard essentially explains it away by saying, look, these pigs are simple folk. These are people of the land, the common clay of the new West, you know, morons. Right, right. How dare I interject one of the greatest comedic moments of the last 50 years into this piece of shit film. Shame on me. I mean, we're all better than that. Um, <laughs> except, except at least three people listening. You're not better than that. <laughs> and you know who you are. Yeah, oh, they, 100% they do. So after the disgusting uh, plunger dance, Red is expecting the town to you know rise in cheers that he has you know, outed these pigs as being dishonest. And uh, Leonard gives a you know big speech about all right we we just came here with trampolines and <laughs> and then Judge Peckinpah takes the side of the pigs and is like well it looks like anger management isn't working but I was like it Matilda already said that Red can't graduate until she says so so why is the judge threatening to make him do more anger management a threat because that's what he's already doing. 
It, it don't it don't make no sense. The pigs say that all they really want to do is perform a cowboy show. And then at this point, the song Friends by Blake Shelton starts playing. And we get to see these pigs do a sexy cowboy dance routine wearing hats and vests and assless chaps. It's a real magic mic performance. See season six, episode three of Pig Six Movies. And then we get a flash forward and flash back montage of the pigs and the birds as they start to live together. It's real mass hysteria. It turns out that the pigs ultimately just want to eat the bird's food. And more specifically, they want to eat the bird's eggs, a.k.a. their children. Right. They at first, uh, I thought this movie was going to be about them wanting to uh, have relations with the eggs, the way that it is originally presented. You thought and that the pigs were gonna fuck the eggs? I wasn't sure, but it like they're running at each other in a field, and like Leonard's going on a date. Like, hey, egg, how about we do something on Thursday? Nothing serious. We can be casual. <laughs> There's some sexiness between. The pigs and the eggs. I, You know, I can see that. I can see the pigs fucking the eggs. So, well, I thought we were going to see it uh, more precisely. and <laughs> But then it turns out he just wants to eat their children, which is somehow less bad. I know. That's weird. That's weird. <laughs> right. You know, but if you had a child and you were like, hey, you have two choices. This character can either fuck your child or kill and eat your child. I mean... They're never going to be the same either way. Edit all that out, please. But yes, uh, that's probably for the best. It's all staying in. <laughs> but so more pigs show up and and Red starts to finally make a lot of sense about like, hey, uh, are these pigs explorers or are they invaders? Right. And the judge who I guess is also the mayor or something, I guess. Uh, he's their leader. <laughs> right. Their de facto leader because... And uh, and he's tallest because he stands on an I, I like I need to understand the relationship between these two birds, the sneezy one and and Judge Peck and Paul. Like, are they are they friends? Are they brothers? Are they lovers? The, the, all three. <laughs> Bird <laughs> Island is a small place, and everyone <laughs> everyone is a little bit of everyone in on Bird Island. Let's get to Mighty Eagle. Yeah, so Red is like, hey, you're being rude. You need to get the fuck out of here. And that's where we see Red looking meaningfully at the statue of Mighty Eagle. And he goes to Chuck and Bomb because he's like, hey, we've got to figure out what's going on with these pigs. And then as they're snooping around, they pop out of boxes in disguises that are, question to you, Chad, Shaft, Fu Manchu, and Kojak? racist insensitive and outdated I, again i just don't understand anything happening in this movie look uh, you, you and i rattle off a bunch of bullshit nonsense when i saw this it really felt like jokes that it's not even that you're tone deaf you are so far removed generationally from what makes this funny you know who is sitting in your audience is not who is going to laugh at a Fu Manchu, an overgrown Afro. You're just you're just not funny. That's the whole secret of this. If if it were just a little bit funny, it would be fine. But it's not. It like the jokes are so bad and they land so flat. It just starts to get kind of depressing. 
As much as the idea of taking Angry Birds as a mobile app game and making a motion picture out of it is so wrong-headed in general. But I do feel that having watched this film ugh, multiple times, that you truly could have created a story where you have characters that are flawed and challenged and that things that are perceived as being liabilities ultimately prove to be advantages to help them overcome the challenges that they face. You know, whether it's through you cannot fly or that your ability to not explode or your ability to move fast and be very, you know, hyperkinetic, that all of this, like you said earlier, it, it's kind of like an X-Men situation and just do that, but they don't do any of it. Yeah, it, it's real frustrating. So let's let's get to more frustration. I can't believe I'm devoting this much time in my life to the Angry Birds movie. I... Do you feel like in watching this that there is a better movie inside this? Yeah, 100%. Yes, absolutely. Like everything we've been talking about is is absolutely correct that all you have to do is pay attention to what Red's arc is in this and it becomes fine. And and maybe actually let Danny McBride riff a little bit and not make him do a dumb voice and Every decision in this movie feels like it was the wrong one. You could have taken everything that was done, flip it upside down, and it would have produced a better movie. Yeah, like all the ingredients are there. It just doesn't, it just doesn't ever matter. After our Shafu Manchu Kojak moment, there is another uh, moment where we get a needle drop of Rock You Like a Hurricane uh, by the Scorpions. As Red describes the story of Mighty Eagle, and there's this whole kind of, it's, it's hard to say animated, but it is more like a traditional cartoon style within the computer animation of this film about how Mighty Eagle was, you know, this incredible hero. And Red asks his friends, uh, look, can you help me get up the mountain um, so that we can find Mighty Eagle and ask for his help with these pigs. How do you not create a story where Mighty Eagle, because here's the thing, we are never told what Mighty Eagle did to attain such a level of notoriety. You know, there should be a story where Mighty Eagle did the following thing that made him iconic. And then he disappeared. Mm -hmm. And we don't get that. And then when you go find Mighty Eagle, he is an older fallen hero who is a shadow of his former self. This shit is not hard. It's and, and they don't it's just like they're missing all of the key beats of this film. And even for our main characters where the storyline of you need to become the heroes of your own story. And as a B plot to that, Mighty Eagle is able to sort of recapture the glory of his former years. They, they just they miss all of this in this film. They just fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. Like, all the stuff that we're talking about here is 100% accurate. It The formula exists. It's not hard to replicate. And this movie just doesn't get it right. 
It's it's crazy. And it's almost like you have this muscle memory of other movies that follow the same pattern. And therefore, you forgive this film for being as incompetent as it is. Because it should be doing these things that are basically hit the ball, catch the ball, throw the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I know it, and it, it, it's terrible that you and I are splitting hairs over the Angry Birds movie, but this is just symptomatic of a lot of other films that really, it's like, just do this and right. audiences will love it. And when you fuck it up, it's just like, why are you doing this so badly? Stupid. One of the biggest problems of this style of movie, whether it's animated or not, but this kind of children's film is it is this very thing of screwing up what ought to be the takeaway like all all kids movies in my opinion should be morally driven to one extent or another you know that you're trying to teach a lesson of some kind and there just isn't one in this movie there's no there's no lesson to take away and so it's just a bunch of unfunny jokes so anyway so they're climbing up mount eagle or whatever it's called Mm -hmm. and uh chuck is skeptical skeptical that mighty eagle even exists and then there's this way too long series of shots of them debating what his battle cry might be where it's them just making funny noises and not like when we do it chad where it's real funny right but (laughs) when these professional actors who got paid you know thousands if not millions of dollars uh to be in this movie and they're they're just making noises at one another and none of it is funny no and it's not uh it's but and i can't overstate how long it goes on it's like two or three minutes of it it's crazy and then they finally reach the lake of wisdom which uh is you know this beautiful crystal lake and there are these gentle waterfalls and there's a nest that red investigates and he's like hey this doesn't look like it's been used in years while he's investigating the area chuck and bomb do this synchronized swimming routine up to and including spitting water in arcs fountain like into one another's mouths it's gross it that is gross, but then we get to the the piece de res, the piece de resistance mm-hmm. as they immediately take cover because they hear Mighty Eagle emerging from a cave high above them, and out comes Mighty Eagle, who's this big fat eagle who then pees in the lake, and the joke is how long it's twofold, Jack, because this is a smart movie. The joke is a he's peeing in the lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of funny because he's peeing for a long, long time, and that's mm-hmm. that's a good joke. And then the other layer to the joke is this crying game style shame that Bomb and Chuck are feeling for having played in a giant toilet. Can you imagine if in Walt Disney's The Jungle Book, if <laughs> Baloo had just saddled up and took a piss in the river, or... If it was implied, if not completely shown, that during the musical number, The Bare Necessities, that the river was just filled with King Louis's long brown banana turds. (laughs) Yeah, the fact that this movie requires a trigger warning for water sports. How far 
has children's animation come in such a short period of time? That is terrifying uh, and and sad. It's it's just irresponsible and it's cheap and lazy. And it's like, well, what if we had somebody piss and shit in the river? That's your bar for humor. And look, shitting and pissing can be really, really funny. Don't get me wrong. But in this, it's just it just feels cheap and lazy and, and irresponsible and just pointless. So it turns out Mighty Eagle is, uh, you know, he gives them the booming voice. And it's uh, voiced by Peter Dinklage of uh, Game of Thrones fame. I know you don't watch Game of Thrones, so of elf fame, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it turns out he is a bit of a fraud. He's a bit of a pop culture kind of new age guy not too dissimilar from matilda then he says like oh you probably come here to you've come here to watch me dance and so wild thing the tone loke song plays while he dances and they are forced to watch and then we cut away from that captivating scene to get a look at bird island now that it's kind of come under pig control with all these pigs Mm -hmm. running around They've got gas cars all over the island and they're, you know, they're pigs. They indulge themselves. So they're, they're eating a bunch of shit and they've grossing up the island with all their newfangled steampunk inventions and whatnot. And there's all these balloons that they're blowing up and they're getting ready for a second celebration. So then we cut back to Mighty Eagle and we have this, again, a very unfunny scene where Mighty Eagle is is like, oh, so you you must have sang songs about me when you were in uh, in in school, and uh, let's hear it. And so he sings a verse of a song about himself, and then is like, so let me hear you sing it now. And then we take a turn with each of our three heroes singing a verse of a song about Mighty Eagle. It sounds like it should have been improv. Because you might have gotten something special out of that. Mm -hmm. But instead, it's just like the closest thing to it being funny to me was I think Bomb at one point describes him as being punctual or something. And it was like, okay, that's kind of funny that your big compliment to this character is something that mundane. The thing that I I think kind of drains it of comedy is is Peter Dinklage's response to it all. Mighty Eagle, does he represent kind of this Wizard of Oz type character? You know, this falsely identified heroic leader? I mean, kind of, but also at the end of the movie, he kind of, I guess, becomes the thing that they think he is, but I never was clear whether it was just like, oh, he... He was this heroic figure, and then he just got lazy. Why wouldn't you set that up? Right, and the thing, the thing that's crazy is we had this whole, like, animated sequence, or, you know, the, the retro cartoon sequence, explaining the story of Mighty Eagle, but it leaves out the part of, like, well, maybe that's not what really happened, or it is what really happened, and he just needs to comment about, like, well, I've really let myself go. You yeah, know? they don't do any of that. And what what happens is Red says, you know, you seem like a guy that just sits around all day talking a good game, but you don't really do anything. And then Chuck says, sounds like someone we know. 
And you're like, I don't understand any of this. Like, that is not Red's character at all. No, it is not. And they try to tie the two together. I like when Red goes over to Mighty Eagle and uh, Mighty Eagle is outside his cave using binoculars to spy on this old lady bird who's sitting in a hot tub. And we've not seen this type of peeping Tom behavior since Dudley Moore and Don Calfa put on live sex shows for each other um, in the movie 10, please see season six, episode two of Big Six Movies. Once again, copying my notes, but go on. This movie is intended for children. And we have a character who is spying on another character who is arguably naked and while watching them says, oh yeah. No one in the production of this movie had an issue with this. This would be akin to the handsome prince in Sleeping Beauty just lifting up her skirt to sneak a peek before delivering love's true kiss on an unconscious woman, or as it's called today, the happily ever Cosby. I just love awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> I think of it as that uh, that awful like grown up baby from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and it turned out like if you slow down the sequence, he like shoved his cigar up some lady's skirt. <laughs> right. You know, it's that kind of thing where it's like this is all just disgusting. Red uses Mighty Eagle's binoculars. To look down and see the pigs placing dynamite all over the birds' houses. And it turns out that the pigs are preparing to steal all of the birds' eggs. And Mighty Eagle, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to help you guys. And instead, you know, Red and Chuck and Bomb, you got to go be the heroes of your own story. There is kind of a nice moment here. Like, credit where credit's due, Chad. That... In a different movie, in a movie that tied all this together, his speech about like, hey, we thought Mighty Eagle was going to help us, but it turns out he's kind of a piece of shit. But it turns out that whether we like it or not, saving the world is up to idiots like us. And I think that's kind of a nice message if that were ultimately the message of the movie, which it's, it's not. But I do like that idea of the message of like, oh, no, we expect uh, all these heroes to save us. But it turns out we just have to do it ourselves. I think there's something kind of empowering about that message. And there's a hint of it here. And I really thought like, man, maybe they're going to pull this out. Maybe they're going to end up tying this up nicely at the end. And they totally fuck it up. I know that at least over the last few films we've watched, I have indulged more in fan fiction than have you. Yes. But in this movie, wouldn't it have made more sense if Red and Chuck and Bomb, that the three of them had been friends for many, many years, as opposed to meeting 18 minutes ago? And when you get to this point where they meet Mighty Eagle and he's like, hey, look, you know, you need to be the heroes of your own story then they sort of have history and it binds them together as opposed to being essentially three people that decided to share a cab uptown on a random rainy Thursday. Right. They are misfits together, I guess, is the the idea. Right. But again, it just doesn't, it, it, it's never presented that way. You know, Chuck is rushing to alert the birds at this party as they're going to, you know, save the day and whatnot. But one of the things that I noticed in this scene is that they are serving uh, pigs in a blanket. Yes. 
which I my question is, did these pigs have to sacrifice some of their own for the most delicious of hors d'oeuvres? Let's be honest. This is just lazy, just sad writing where it's like they're pigs and they're eating pigs in a blanket. That's as far as it went. It, you know, from your standpoint of like, did they murder their own and wrap them up in doughy confectionery goodness? It, again, it's just it, it, this whole thing feels so slapdash and lazy. And then so Bomb and Red uh, are trying to get on the ship, but they fail. Um, they And then the pigs blow up the Mighty Eagle statue. And then they're like, hey, f- fuck off, Bird Island. We got all your eggs. We're going back to Piggy Island. Red and Bomb and Chuck and the rest of, of the birds are left in, in tatters. Uh, as all the eggs are, are stolen away and they are wrecked uh, on their own island. And end of movie, Chad. It's it's much like leaving Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. No no one has a happy ending. Right. Um, boy, uh, I'd rather be watching that movie. And that's a dark place we've come to. What do we have on the next episode of Pick 6 Movies? It's going to be a catastrophe, Chad. Kittler's List, a, a movie about Jewish cats killed by Kittler. It's <laughs> truly one of those tragic films we've ever reviewed. None of this is happening. Let's just get back. Uh, Socks' Jesus. Choice. <laughs> In which lovable family dog Socks has to choose between two puppies when fleeing Germany. Um, I don't know. So... They, all right, in the, the aftermath, the town then turns to red because uh, they don't know what to do. He was right about the pigs all along. Right, the pigs blew the shit out of the city. They stole all their kids, and all of the birds are like, what the fuck should we do? Red, help us because we need retribution, vengeance. Red, right. you're our guy. You are filled with rage all the time. Hey, Pally, you you want vengeance? You come to the right spot. I like that Chuck steps in here, the yellow bird, and he's like, he's like, hey, man, look, it sucks that the pigs stole all our eggs, but you know what? We can just make more, right? Hey, everybody, let's start fucking. Who wants to get laid? Any way you want it, that's the way you need it. <laughs> but instead, uh, Red has to give this Braveheart-style speech, uh, and which culminates in him saying like the the gist of the speech is we need to be angry like i've been told all my life i'm too angry but now we have and i'm saying this better than the movie does uh yes you are but now we have a reason to be angry and it it culminates with him saying uh we are angry flocking birds and yet again i'm like why are we teasing the f word in this movie the message for children in the audience of this film isn't that you need to be able to manage and control your anger. Instead, this is the same speech essentially that the emperor gives to Luke Skywalker when he is luring him to the dark side in the empire. He's just like, good, use your aggressive feelings, boy. Let the hate flow through you. Anger and vitriol is the source of your strength. 
you're right, it's just hate, yes. Let the hate flow through you. Um, all of it, it, it's just completely the wrong message to give children. So we cut away from Stupid Bird Island to Piggy Island, where Leonard is emceeing a big party, because as it turns out, Chad, uh, Leonard is the real king. Hey, guess who's the king? It's a real, like, we're about to eat sentient beans party that they're having. Where they're like, hey, we get to eat a bunch of eggs before they become peoples. Right. It would be like if we had a big fetus party uh, before eating them. Yes. That's right, Chad. After uh, the the we're going to devour a bunch of uh, living things party, uh, the birds have arrived on the island on a raft made of the, you know, TNT boxes. They need to uh, get over a big piggy wall. They, you know, show up. And here we get to the premise of the game which is, hey, a bunch of pigs are way over there, and we got to get there. So uh, Red says, we're going to fly. And what they do is they wheel out the slingshot, and an hour and five minutes into the movie, a thing from the video game is about to happen. Right. And uh, so we also find out, listen, experts, Matilda shoots flames out of her ass. Quite the expert power, eh? And Leonard uh, then notices that the town is being decimated by bird kamikaze pilots being hurled via slingshot into his town, much like the Khaleesi taking out King's Landing, uh, which I know you don't watch uh, Game of Thrones, but that was a thing that happened. In this scene where Matilda, because she's essentially the white bird from the game, and during this scene, she fires out explosive eggs which the eggs are the bird's unborn children so in this case isn't she just firing out a version of her unborn child her body her choice in this sequence the birds also fire out the green boomerang bird from the game And he goes out and whips around and comes back. He didn't do jack shit to help out the plot of the movie. The fact that he's even in here is offensive. And then one by one, all of the birds get shot into Pig City. And at one point, they shoot the mime bird. And we haven't really touched on this, but this mime bird constantly says, Oh my God. And I guess that's a funny moment in the film. I have, there's one legitimate laugh I have in this movie, and it's actually coming up. Does it involve the mime bird? No, it doesn't. Pig City, as they are being crashed upon by the birds, Pig City looks like the slums of India or South Africa. The whole city is just haphazardly stacked up and slapdashed together with metal and plywood. The only structurally sound building is Leonard the King's Castle. You know, because he's the king. And as an almighty dictator who rules with an iron fist over his country, he really needs to be the one to oversee all of the devastating poverty and then ultimately, you know, have those that are in the slums thank him for being their ruler. Leonard decides at this point, let's eat the eggs for lunch instead of dinner. And so it's time, you know, during the attack that they're just going to gobble up all the eggs. We come back to Eagle Mountain and Mighty Eagle, he's listening to Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up because (laughs) that's a funny song. 
<laughs> right. Well, we need Mighty Eagle because it turns out that the pigs have a pig air force. Um, right. And and so, right, we've got to drag him into this mess because we got to have him do something in this movie. Come back to the pigs, and then Red gets into the slingshot, and he gets fired out, and he ends up making his way into Leonard's castle by bouncing across a couple of other, you know, spires. And then Chuck and Bomb gets fired over, and then they make their way into the castle as well. And then all of the pigs start moving the eggs to a single location to be cooked in this cauldron that is filled with boiling green liquid. Right. And so here, Chad, is the the joke that I laughed at, which comes when our heroes, uh, Chuck and, and Bomb and Red, uh, are searching for the eggs and they come to the door that's guarded that says no eggs in here written over mm-hmm. it. Right. And the, the laugh I had was Josh Gad saying, no eggs in. Oh, these pigs are clever. And it the delivery was just right. It was a nice little gag. And that was it. That's the only time in this movie I laughed. You were so hungry for something to giggle at. Yeah, that, you know, if if they're thirsty enough, they'll drink the sand, Chad. And <laughs> and that's where I was with this movie. Um, but then, yeah, so they bust in this room and, and they just in time see, you know, the, this net, net full of eggs being lifted out to the green sludge that they're going to cook it in. But then we see Terrence, the giant red oversized bird, gruntingly voiced by Sean Penn. He's going to get fired out of the slingshot, but he's too big and he breaks it, thus preventing other birds from making their way into Pig City. And then we cut back to the castle and Red and Bomb and Chuck, they're kind of running around looking for the eggs. And then they come across these two twin pigs and they say, Red Rum. And they're standing in a hallway and they're making reference to the Stanley Kubrick film, the Shining, which was that in the script? I read Red Rum that there are twin pigs saying that in a hallway because in the original film, the twins don't say that at all. They say, Come and play with us, Danny, forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense for twin pigs to say Red Rum. Why not have the pigs say, Here's Johnny, arguably a more famous quote from the Kubrick adaptation of The Shining, and equally out of place coming from two twin pigs in the Angry Birds movie. I couldn't agree more. The uh, the horror nerd in me had an eye twitch when they were like, <laughs> Red Rom. It was like, oh, that's the wrong line. Oh, no. That's going to stick in my craw. That's really going to be a problem for me. <laughs> the pig air force continues to bomb their own city stupid while leonard and all the other pigs prepare to cook and eat the eggs and then this movie rips off another idea where a really fast character moves at a high rate of speed and everything else around them moves at a relatively slow motion rate of speed. And what I'm talking about is that Chuck, the yellow bird, zips around a bunch of green pigs and like interjects himself into their behaviors, thus making them, you know, look foolish or or fall into entrapments. 
This happened in an episode of Futurama where Fry drinks 100 cups of coffee. It also happened in the animated movie Over the Hedge. It happened in the X-Men movie Days Future Past, all of which came out before the Angry Birds movie hit screens. It is derivative. It is lazy. It is embarrassingly sad. Yeah, I, I don't know if you're looking for applause. Uh, but you're right. It is it it is one of the worst ripoff scenes I've seen in a movie in some time. Another thing we hate on this show is reminding us of a better movie that would be more fun to watch. Where are we? Like, uh, Mighty Eagle is is in, in, en route. He's being chased by the Pig Air Force. Yeah, he, he suddenly gets his fat ass off the ground. Without any motivation, by the way. He just does it. Right, again, because the script said so it doesn't make any sense for the character necessarily because it's like well what is is he trying to be the hero he never was or be the hero that he used to be or he ends up busting in to the castle grabbing the the net full of eggs and taking off and they basically tell mighty eagle like you need to get all the eggs out of here and chuck and bomb grab the net also to ride it out Yep. But then an egg comes loose. Boink. And Red lets go of the net to save it. And here we come to our final confrontation between Leonard and Red over this egg. And again, this is a piece of a movie that would work where you have hero and villain fighting over the the very literally the thing that uh, the conflict is about. Except Red isn't the hero and Leonard isn't really the villain. It is a piece of a movie, but there's nothing to lead up to this to make it feel weighty. Yeah. Like, you know, other than, yeah, this is the asshole that heckled you and you fired him out of a slingshot. That's kind of the only interaction they've had in the movie. Yeah. And anyway, so uh, as they're standing off over the egg, the big cauldron full of green boiling stuff collapses spill, spilling boiling sewage all over everything meanwhile outside mighty eagle is being chased by the pig air force bomb hops off the net to bounce off a bunch of the piggy planes and we get almost it's almost like the avengers or something you know or the x-men where um bomb blows up some of the air force planes and then he lands at a point where we then kind of trade off the focus to Matilda who is fart bombing her way through a genocide in this city. Yes. And then Terrence shows up in a tank to save all the birds in uh, that are in town. And then we get back to Leonard and Red who are who are fighting in the castle. You equally made that sound so much better and so much worse at the same time. It's what happens, but it also like as you're watching it at this point or as I was watching it at this point, like in this point in my note taking is just like taking the minutes of an accountancy convention or something <laughs> where it's just like, what is happening? Ugh, okay. Let me make sure I make a note of this because otherwise I will forget about all of this in the next 45 seconds. Red grabs the missing egg from Leonard and then Red jumps over on this boulder in this room that is surrounded by dynamite sticks and boxes of TNT. And as he's holding the final egg, 
Um, Leonard has a lit candle in his hand for some unknown goddamn reason. And then the this big cauldron falls down and lands on top of Red, like with the open side on top of him, creating like a shield, thus protecting Red inside. And then the candle that Leonard has in his hand ignites all of the dynamite sticks and they explode thus blowing red and the boulder and the cauldron protecting him out of you know harm's way and presumably killing leonard and all of the other pigs and also we'd like to take your attention to a new slate of ledgers that uh here at the uh, accounting convention we would like to uh Suggest there are four extra columns for those of you who prefer your uh, <laughs> columns to be extra narrow, but uh, focused on the data. So stupid. <laughs> so, so now that Leonard has been murdered uh, by Red, right? The we have this moment that like comes out of like speaking of Schindler's List earlier, where all these parents are like, "Eggs, eggs, where are eggs? Are where are our babies?" And, like, we're reuniting the eggs with their parents, but mm-hmm. uh, Bomb and Chuck realize, like, Red is nowhere to be seen, and they immediately are like, oh, he's dead, 100%. Like, there was no way he made it out of that, because uh, he's too, like, there has to be some kind of justice, and he's just too shitty a person to survive that. Um, but it turns out, Chad, <laughs> that there is no cosmic justice, and uh, Red ends up uh, emerging from the rubble with with the egg that a couple like there's one sad bird couple that's like where's our egg are there no more eggs it's like no all out eggs lady and they're like but (laughs) our child they're like eh, fuck off no more eggs and then uh it turns out red of course has the egg which is hatched with three uh chiclets right and he gives the birds to their parents and then Mighty Eagle takes credit for everything. I do like that the people, when they see Mighty Eagle, they're shitty towards him. They're like, hey, you don't look anything like your statue. You're fat and old. How dare you get older as time passes, you fat asshole. Boy, you know what movie handled that a whole lot better? Uh, that uh, Avengers movie with Fat Thor. That was real funny. That was a, a real good part of that movie. <laughs> Uh, mighty eagle tells red and chuck and bomb he's like i made you lose faith in me mighty eagle so that you could gain faith in yourselves wait what no you didn't you didn't do any of that right you're you're just a disco dancing self-indulgent narcissistic asshole who spies on old ladies in their hot tubs you didn't do anything that was noble, you shithead. Yeah, he's terrible. He's terrible. Like every character that is supposed to be a hero in this movie is awful. Yes, they're just they're fuck ups. They're pieces of shit. Uh, because Mighty Eagle hasn't learned any lessons, it's time for the rest of the cast of the film not to learn lessons. So after uh, the this new statue of Mighty Eagle uh, has been created with him as the hero of this story. But, uh, and, and Red is like, yeah, you know, kind of fuck that guy. We really did all the heavy lifting on that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the rest of the town shows up and is like, hey, we rebuilt your house. Only instead of your nice private beach house, we built it 
right next to everybody. And he's like, fuck you. <laughs> right. Like you're, you're one of us, whether you like it or not. And the whole town cheers and the children of the town uh, come out and they sing to red and they sing a, a, a folk song, much like the mighty Eagle song. Only it's about red being a hero, which if it had been the point of the movie, it would have been really sweet. This is as close as this movie gets to having a sense of emotional sweetness. Yes. It's a really nice moment. And like I said, if if they had built up to this at all, it would have been great. Yes, but they but they don't. And when it happens, it feels like it should be more impactful and it's not. Like yeah. it, it almost feels like all of the adults are shitheads. They cannot see how good and impactful you have been to the narrative of this film but we as children are able to see this and therefore we are congratulating you for being the true hero of the movie yes it again would have been great in in your film then after all the uh, children of the town join hands and sing to him he goes into his house and chuck and bomb are like hey you want some company and he's like how about you beat it losers <laughs> And yeah, fuck off, you two. Uh, but in, instead, he's like, ah, I'm just screwing with you. Come on inside. And it goes from what I thought was them going to hang out with uh, w- with Red at his new joint. Uh, instead, they're like, hey, it, we're going to move in and I'm going to take this bedroom upstairs. And he's like, the fuck you are? Like, what? He's still a dick. I'm going to call the bird police if you people don't get out of my house. Right. Anyway, so they're going to be roommates, and then that's kind of it. Then we get credits with, uh, but are, there's a real post credits well, tease we, here. We, but we get a, a little dance sequence uh-huh. where we get to hear Demi Lovato cover "I Will Survive" because the pigs aren't dead, including Leonard. Right. Who, because this is a children's movie, and death is not a concept that we really want to deal with. Right. right. No, we're fine with uh, anger management classes and fucking and abortion and voyeurism and birth control. All of that is totally fine. Rubbing our asses on things. I'm, I think cuckolding came into play at some point. Uh, water sports, as we pointed out, all of this is fine. But uh, <laughs> well, but during the dancing montage, Leonard pops out, and because we need another pun in this movie, he's like, "I'm hatching a new plan." You're like, uh, "I get it, eggs." Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Stupid. So, but yes, let's get to the post-credit scene where we can tease a sequel to this movie, which, by the way, is actually happening later this year. I will not be seeing this in the theater. Oh God, no. <laughs> In this post credit scene, we get to see the three small bluebirds that Red saved. And they go over to a newly built slingshot and they fire themselves out into the ocean where they split up into three projectiles over the water, which that is one of the things from the game we have not touched on thus far. Which my question to you, Bo, is can these baby birds even fly? Or did they just drown in the ocean? Because we have not seen this type of deliberate ocean entry without a plan of getting back to shore since we saw Burt Reynolds try to commit suicide in The End, Season 1, Episode 6 of Pick 6 Movies. Oh, well done. Um, yeah, I think they're pretty much lost at sea. I think it's going to 
they're all gonna die that dark middle act of uh angelina jolie's what's it called unbroken where they're just on the raft trying to eat seagulls and shit for a while it's the life of pie <laughs> right yeah except that movie you care about <laughs> and that's our movie that's angry birds i know it sounds awesome it's not it's awful it's it's a movie based on a mobile app game that arguably could have, should have been better than it was. And yet it's not. I, let me ask you this, because I don't think either of us would ever recommend anyone watch the Angry Birds movie. It's a terrible, it's it's really boring. It's not funny. It does, like, it's not good for kids because of some of the more risque humor and and it's not good for adults because it's just not funny correct so there is no audience that is going to walk away from this movie better no. for having seen it so don't don't ever watch angry birds uh the movie please don't but yes in terms of animated children's entertainment because you are a father and i'm uh you know a, a children's movie enthusiast um <laughs> that uh you know where are there kids movies we would recommend or you would recommend pointedly over the Angry Birds movie. If you wanted, I know you mentioned Cloudy with a, a Chance of Meatballs. Horton Hears a Who is a very good animated children's film. I think, I'm trying to think of kind of things that aren't necessarily Pixar. Um, yeah, I think How to Train Your Dragon is an excellent movie. What troubles me most about the Angry Birds movie is that, again, one, going into it with such low expectations that this is a movie based on a mobile app game. Clearly, this is a money grab and it's going to be a piece of shit. But when you watch it, there are there are threads in this film that seem to be aligned with more traditional you know, story arcs and narratives that should have come together in a more cohesive fashion and they don't and they could have. And that's what I find most frustrating about this film. You know, I think this may be summed up perfectly by uh, an interview I watched with Bill Hader about this movie in which they said, he was asked like, Hey, what drew you to this project? And he said, uh, money. No, he said, I really liked the game. And then I saw the cast they assembled and I thought, oh my God, I love these people. Like uh, some people I really respect and some people I'd worked with before. And I thought it sounded fun. And I believe that, but notably at no point did he say, I thought the script was really funny or I thought it was a good story. It was just like, hey, I'm getting paid to hang out with my friends a little bit. That seemed cool. You know what, Bo? Yeah. Let's talk about a better movie. On the next episode of Big Six Movies... <laughs> yeah uh so i wish i could say it's a better movie chad if you thought this movie uh had n nothing happening in it then i dare you chad to watch wing commander a movie uh that uh has truly unlikable characters unlike this mm -hmm. movie that just oh it toys with the idea of unlikable characters but wait till you meet matthew lillard and wing commander Oh my god, Chad. It is a, a story, a spacefaring adventure about fighting slimy cats in space. I've never played Wing Commander. I have not seen this film yet, but I will resolve at least one of those two issues before we speak again. Uh, and I loved the Wing Commander games when I was a kid, and so I will talk a lot about that. <laughs> Excellent. Again, as always, thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, drop us a line. 
uh, pick6movies at gmail.com. You can visit us at pick6movies.com. You can find us on Facebook. We're bouncing around on social media. Bo, any final thoughts on uh, the Angry Birds movie? I can't believe this thing has a sequel. That is, that's stunning. And also that a lot of the actors just didn't come back. They're like, nope, no thanks. Once was enough. You know, I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, I do have respect for myself. And I can't do another Angry Birds the movie. I think there is a season ahead of us where we do sequels of these movies that we've done already that are just tragically riddled with complexity around casting, returning performers writers directors just there's so many of them just like yeah i'm not coming back to do that shit again yeah i mean how does peter dinklage get top billing in the angry birds movie too he should not exist in that movie and aquafina is third bill chad (laughs) above bill Hader. (laughs) well you know what just we'll have to uh stick around and stay tuned all right. see what happens. Sorry, I've fallen down a wormhole here, and it's driving me mad. Thank you so much, and uh, come back next week. We will be discussing Wing Commander. I can guarantee it will not be better than this movie. <laughs> no, it, it's somehow worse. I'm sorry to everyone. Till next week. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>